Good morning, good morning. Man, it's so good to almost see you guys. When the lights come up, I'll be seeing you there. But I, I'm imagining how beautiful you look, all right? Nah, you're great. I, I wanted to uh, just take a minute. If you're new to uh, Upstate Church Five Forks, uh, the first 10 minutes of this is going to probably seem a little weird, a little awkward. Um, and, and you may not even know that I'm not the normal uh, every Sunday teaching pastor here. Your campus pastor at Upstate, Upstate Church Five Forks is uh, Dustin Dozier. Uh, he and Sloan are phenomenal. Uh, I'm the lead pastor of Upstate Church, and so we, ha- we have a multi-campus ministry, and you may or may not have, have known that before we came here today. But the thing that makes ours, I think, super unique and, and I think healthier than other models is we have a rotation of live teaching. And so we don't do a video venue. We don't badmouth others who do. But we, we rotate uh, so every campus pastor preaches on every campus two times a year. So this is only one of two times I get to actually be face-to-face with Five Forks campus uh, in a a 52-week year, and I'm super excited that it's today. I've got some important stuff to kind of share with you, and I want it to be encouraging, informative, and all of that, and I hope exciting, kind of a lot of fire perhaps uh, inside of, of you guys, because what's happening out here is just crazy awesome. The last service, uh, they just, uh, just told me, like, added everything up. And, and just to give you an idea, I don't want to tell you wrong, these 252 human beings, all right, were here at the 10 o'clock hour. Now, you've been averaging about, yeah, praise God for that. That's pretty crazy, right? And, uh, and so you're going to be a, a pretty amazing day uh, as far as total worship attendance today, no matter what. But, but that just gives you an idea. He said a couple of seats were empty. I mean, it was very few. That's happening a lot of different campuses we have. It's just amazing, and that brings tension. It brings even a little bit of, like, anxiety. I don't know <laughs> if you ever walk in a room now post-COVID. If you walk in a room and there's only 10 chairs, you know, it's like, what do we do? I mean, uh, somebody told me at Harrison Bridge today that a couple came in and actually turned around and walked out because it was just overwhelming to them. There was no, it was kind of the same thing as last service. When there's about 10 chairs left, you don't, if you're new, you don't see them. They just, it's, it's, it's a little crazy. So having said that, I want you to kind of be prepared for people to come into this service from even the earlier one. It's odd uh, to me a little bit that the 11.15, I'm, I would be like sleeping late coming at 11.15, man, you know? Uh, but for some reason, 10 o'clock has been the one that's kind of slammed every week, and you guys have built, built this service strong. But I wanted to kind of back up a little bit and, uh, and kind of begin by just saying, as odd as it may seem for me to say, <laughs> I'm just super proud of Upstate Church Five Forks. Um, I, I know that uh, to say that no one was uh, here was kind of part of this when it was a dream is an understatement because they, you guys weren't here, right? So we started dreaming a dream for Five Forks even the year we came to Simpsonville seven years ago. Uh, Amy and I have lived in Five Forks virtually the entire time. Arguably now we're in the redneck part of Five Forks. We're outside Five Forks, out in, in like, uh, yeah, out in uh, the, the sticks uh, across from Rudolph Gordon. So we're not really Five Forks anymore, but we have been the whole time. And this is such a strategic location in the upstate of South Carolina. So you're a very important part about what God has done. But God brought Dustin and Sloan Dozier here uh, four years ago over four years ago, and, and you may or may not know this, they came and said yes to the call of God um, to become uh, the leaders of a campus that not only didn't exist yet, we didn't even have an address. We didn't know where it was going to be, and there was no core group. There were zero people in the core group, all right? They said yes, came to lead the campus that did not exist, and today, 
you guys now have gone from an average of zero in worship to an average of over 300 every Sunday morning. We've had uh, 34 people step from death to life, darkness to light, uh, in the past four years. 18 people have been saved and baptized this year alone at the Five Forks campus. Isn't that a blessing? Would you praise God for that? Yeah. And so after hearing all of those reminders about just what God is doing at Five Forks and how I'm just super, to say, pumped about uh, Dustin and Sloan and Brandon, our our student coordinator, and then what uh, God has done through Michelle, uh, she's been part of it from the very beginning. She was the uh, kind of the founding uh, kids coordinator out here. God used her in a remarkable way. It's just been really cool to see. I want you to know, though, when you hear stuff like, 3,250 people were in worship today. That's not just something you're a part of. That is your church. That's you. You're a massive, significant, uh, substantial part of what God is doing. Brian mentioned 162 people baptized this year. That's your church. And so the cool thing about our model is that we are truly one church in every way. Organizationally, administratively, we're not separate. This isn't a separate church from downtown, separate church from Harrison Bridge. We're all the same church. We literally have the same deacons, the same staff, the same budget. Everything is one. And so uh, the cool thing about the teaching team is that we're able uh, to, to say we don't just all believe the same thing. We're all part of the same uh, mission. We're genuinely friends. Like we love each other. We're, we're together in this thing. We're partners in ministry. And God's really put us together, I think, for a time that's going to be special and significant in the upstate. October 2nd, we're going to have a day called Vision Sunday. And you're going to hear a lot of exciting news about the future of our church, our church together. We're going to hear about new facilities at Harrison Bridge. Uh, They uh, are averaging over 600 right now, 550 to 650 every Sunday in a space this size. Does that make sense? That's crazy, right? And so it's, it's, it's unreal. They're doing three services, and they're just slammed. It's a good thing, but we gotta, we got to do something to make room uh, for future boom, right? So uh, new facilities at Harrison Bridge. We're preparing to plant a new campus on Haywood Road, uh, right on the corner of Lawrence Road and Haywood, um, strategically located across from Hooters, all right? So that's supposed to be funny, all right? Uh, so we got to reach the, the lost guys going there. I'm kidding, but uh, pray for them. Anyway, uh, th- so we're going to hear some exciting stuff about the Haywood campus and, uh, and announce a new campus pastor at Haywood to lead that new campus next August as we launch. But I wanted to take some time personally with you today, even out of the normal 32 minutes, man. And so you're going to have to listen to the message fast in just a minute. You may already know some of this stuff, but I think it'd be helpful for me to dive into some of the details with you so that you can kind of at least know, you know, because I don't think Dustin would would take time out of a message uh, to share a lot of this stuff with you. And since it's one of my two times a year, I want to use it wisely to really let you hear our hearts for the Five Forks campus as a whole. Uh, Let me start by saying this facility is a miracle of God. Some people in this room, uh, definitely some people in the previous service, stood in this room when it was dirt and gravel instead of cushioned seats. So when we first found this building, after a year of looking, I mean, because I don't know if you know this, there's nowhere to go in Five Forks. It's crazy. There's just not a lot of facilities available. 
it's not a lot of options. And so for a while, we thought it was going to be upstate church uh, scuffle town, you know, out in the dirt or something. We didn't know what we were going to do. But God opened the door, and we found this building that was a shell. It was a hole. It was gravel floor, all of it, uh, connected to the doctor's office. And, uh, and they were just honestly a divine providential moment. The doctors renovated. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. The doctors paid $385,000 to upfit this facility so that it could be a worship center. We didn't pay for that. Now, they gave us the expense in the form of monthly rent, amen, you know, right? They did kind of uh, transfer that responsibility, but that was all a God thing because, I mean, we just at that moment couldn't have spent uh, over a quarter of a million dollars to renovate this space. God just did it. We were able to launch the campus, and great things happened. It's, it's been phenomenal. And so uh, it's been a miracle since the very beginning, but we've been ever aware of the future facilities needs of the Five Forks campus really for the last uh, six months or more. We've recognized, because we look way ahead, you're already in two services, and this is the smaller of the two. Look around. I mean, so it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen that you go to three services. I'll go ahead and say soon. What do you mean by soon? I have no idea, all right? Dustin's going to have a, a big part in making that decision with the team. But we're going we're gonna to push to three services. That will give us some more room. But you guys know we just pushed into the lobby of the doctor's office, and Brandon had 18 students at groups today. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, fantastic. So... A lot of stuff that's, that's just happening. We got some room to grow. We have some space, but we know we're ever aware that there's going to be some needs. So we've aggressively pursued multiple alternatives uh, to our current location, including several existing facilities that would have required extensive renovation and money, quite frankly, that we, we don't have necessarily to invest. But then sometimes we found some that might work and the door shut. It's just been really uh, frustrating, I guess you could say. Uh, but then we've also explored buying land. Just so you know, this is all in the realm of radar possibility. We've found land at certain times and explored the possibility. We actually had a meeting set up with one organization that owns some acreage uh, in a very good location that would have been awesome around the edge of Five Forks, a uh, high traffic area, and they called us like two hours before the meeting and said, we just found out that it's zoned in such a way that churches can't build on it. And so we had to cancel that meeting all, all the time. Here's what I want you to hear. We, just, we're, we try to be led by the Spirit to such a degree that when we push a direction and God shuts the door, we say, yes, sir. And so we just haven't, uh, haven't been able to walk through a door at all. God has consistently and unquestionably shut the doors in our face. And so he has made it clear, every inquiry, that those options were not realistic opportunities at this moment. So we've pursued aggressively even a conversation with the owners of this facility. Because some people might say, well, hey, we could always, you know, push into the doctor's office, you know. I mean, that's theoretically possible. We'd have to remove bathrooms. <laughs> so, so we could push into the doctor's office and we could kind of create space and that would be cool and so here we were open to it well the just to be honest with you, the the owners have not um been interested uh you know we've we've even said just give us a price we'll see if we can figure it out we've never got a price so uh, just just know that those things have been aggressively pursued um so why tell us all that i want you to know how much the five forks campus means to us as a whole church. 
And I feel like probably if anybody, if only symbolically, is the one who needs to say this to you, it's the lead pastor. Dude, listen, Five Forks is a top priority. There's no campus that matters more than Five Forks. And so um, I want you to hear that because when you hear buildings being built over here and you hear, man, we're planting a new campus in August, uh, doing this and doing that, I don't want you to wonder, well, what about us, you know? The truth of the matter is we're still, we have option, we have room to expand, we have another service we can start, we have, and somebody might say, well, wait a minute, didn't I hear five-year lease? We got a five-year lease four years ago. <laughs> Do the math. We got one year left? Well, here's the good news, all right? Good news is that our realtor actually, in the contract, put in there a three-year extension option at a very low percentage increase uh, before the, the market went nuts. And so we technically have four more years we can be here, all right? Now, I, I'm firmly uh, of the opinion that within the next few years, we'll probably have to find an option, all right? And, and, and it'll be a more permanent, uh, larger, more comfortable option so that we can continue to grow uh, and see what God does. But I want you to know that when you hear all that other stuff, uh, that, that it's not at loss of options and hopes for Five Forks. It's just right now we don't have a solution. And so uh, we, we're not going to lose this location anytime soon. We have options. Now, here's one thing I'd say. Dustin asked me to add to the end of it. I showed him everything I was going to say. He said, if you don't mind, could you say if anyone has land to donate or... He said, or if they have a few million dollars to drop down. I mean, we'd take it, right? And, uh, and I'll go and say that, I'll go as far as say, if you have landed donator of $3 million, to, we will start building tomorrow, all right? That's, that's a promise. And so uh, I, I wanted to just share, I took almost half of my time this morning uh, for you to hear all of that directly from me because I feel like, you're, number one, you're that valuable and I wanted you to hear that we are, we are active. Um, Brian, I know you see him uh, occasionally. Brian Owens is our executive pastor of operations. He'll come up and do the welcome every now and then. You guys know him. Uh, Brian is, by operations, anything facilities and finance, he is the man who's over it. So if you ever have questions about facilities, even if you just want to chew the fat about, hey, what, what are y'all thinking? Is anything new? You know, Dustin's always fully aware and involved in those conversations as well. But Brian is helping us lead that charge. And so uh, keep him in your prayers as he, uh, as he seeks the Lord's will with our, our leadership. Thank you guys for giving me that time. Uh, go and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to preach a 35-minute message in 17.12 uh, minutes. All right, so get ready. Hang on tight. We're going to do this. And, uh, and, and we've been in this message series, Back to the Basics, now for three weeks. This is the third week. And uh, you have heard the foundational idea of what it means to be a Christian uh, explained so far in a belief in God, the creator of heaven and earth. I mean, God created everything. Got to believe in God. You got to believe there's one God, not just a God. Got to believe in the one God. Uh, we're monotheist. We're not, we're not polytheist. We believe in one God, even though we believe in the Trinity. Uh, he's represented in three persons, right? God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, one God. Um, but then day uh, or week three, we talked about uh, Christ. And if you want to use the theological term, Christology, you know, what we believe about Jesus. What is it about Jesus that we believe? And we started that subject with the incarnation. We talked about John chapter one and how uh, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. You could stop right there and preach for an hour because the fact is what that basically says is that uh, God the Son was in existence in the beginning before anything was created. He was here way before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Not only was 
the Son of God, present in the beginning, but he was also actively involved in the creation process. Everything was made through, by, and for him. Now, that's crazy. That's amazing to think about. That's what Christians believe about Jesus. That's not what extremist Christians believe about Jesus. That's what Christ followers believe, is that Jesus wasn't just a good man, wasn't just a prophet. He was truly God in flesh. And so if that's what we believe, it kind of takes us to another level today as we continue the conversation about Jesus. We're going to talk today in particular about the death of Jesus, the significance of his death, why he died, and, uh, and, and what it means for us. And so this morning, these are the questions we want to answer. Uh, what do we believe about the death of Jesus, and what does that mean for us? We've been using the Apostles' Creed kind of as a framework for our conversation. So I'm going to read the portion of the Apostles' Creed. I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time, since I've taken these other liberties here. But I'm going to read the portion we've already covered and the portion that we're going to cover today. Uh, but I want to always rem remind us, look, the Apostles' Creed, I'm sure Dustin explained this at length, it is not the Bible, right? This is a, it's an, an additional supplemental a summary, if you will, of the gospel written by men, not by the inspiration of Scripture. So this is not the Bible, but it is helpful. It helps us frame it, and then we'll look at Acts chapter 2. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then this portion right here is one that will probably usually the most interesting to people. He descended to the dead. Now there is a, a, a version of the Apostles' Creed that literally says he had descended into hell. And other sometimes, sometimes songs we even uh, may sing says it in that way. And the reason it does, the word sheol, we'll talk about this in a minute, is the word used there. But we'll explain there's multiple views of this uh, statement and, uh, and it's mentioning in Scripture, and we'll talk about kind of where we land uh, on that passage. But this setting here in Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. So this same guy who had denied Jesus, he'd walked with the Lord, he knew Jesus personally, he had watched him uh, actually work miracles, he denied him. And then watched him die on a cross, literally die on a cross. So this same guy stands up, on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, had actually cooked him breakfast, the Bible says, on the Sea of Galilee, pretty amazing, and brought restoration to Peter. He's restored in his strength. And so, after having seen the resurrected Jesus, he actually, in Acts chapter 2, stands before a multitude of unbelieving people. And in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, man attested, to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. In other words, you know, you've seen it with your own eyes. This same Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan for knowledge of God, you crucified and killed. Wow. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so we see in this two-verse short passage there in Acts chapter 2, just a snippet of the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, we see a couple of things that we're going to just kind of lay out real quickly about the death of Jesus that are essential beliefs for Christians. This is what it means to be a Christian foundationally in relationship to a belief in Jesus. The first thing is this. His death was literal. 
the death of Jesus is a literal death. It, it, now, you may say, well, is there any other kind of death? <laughs> you know? uh, and I would say the reason it's important for us to clarify the literal death of Jesus is in our world of philosophical uh, diversity and, and maybe even intellectual snobbery, I can say that with five degrees. I can say, man, most schools, I tell you what, are a bunch, just a bunch of know-it-alls, man. And the more we know, honestly, if we're, if we're humble enough to admit it, the more we know and the more we learn intellectually, the more we realize we don't know anything. The more we advance as a culture and are informed about the things of the universe, the more we should be humbled to the fact that we are nothing in comparison to God. And so in our day of, of elitism and academic snobbery, there are many who would question the literal death of Jesus. They would say, well, yeah, he eventually died, but in the record of the gospel, what, it, what the gospel writers don't tell you is that he really just fainted, that he just swooned. I heard Dustin preach at 8.45 this morning. He referred to the swoon theory. It's a, it's a documented academic theory that uh, unbelievers would have, some unbelievers would have about the death of Jesus that would say, well, he didn't really raise from the dead because he never really died. Let me just say how ludicrous that would be for a man named Peter who, who literally left everything to follow Jesus. And he, he actually has staked his entire life and died a martyr for the faith that he had in Jesus. How in the world would the followers of Jesus constructed and manipulated the setting and the narrative to create some fictitious death, burial, and resurrection of their Savior and then be willing to die for a lie? That's, that's absurd. I mean, that's, that's honestly intellectually foolish. That's silly. All these hundreds at the time, followers of Jesus who were willing to die for him, saw him bleed on a cross and die. Nails driven into his hands and his feet, a spear shoved into his side. And this morning, Dustin made a great point. The, the, the Roman soldiers made sure those who were crucified died because if, if the man you crucified doesn't die, you're dying as a Roman soldier. So this was a very important reality. Look, the death of Jesus is literal. But, but here's, here's the thing. The reason why it's, it's uh, important for us to understand the significance, any story, any story that is moving can grab us. And even if the story of Jesus dying on the cross was, was fictional, it would perhaps be heartwarming. It might move us. The, any story can move us emotionally. There's a lot of power in a story. You can still love the characters and learn something from the story, even if it's not real. Uh, perhaps the greatest cinema work of all time is, uh, is uh, Independence Day from 1996. Do you know this movie? Probably not. But Bill Pullman played the President of the United States. And I remember as a child, I watched it and then, well, a teenager. And then later on, I, I watched it multitudes of times. Over. I mean, I, it's one of those things I just love to watch. I love Independence Day. But he stood on this fighter jet, the President about to get in a fighter jet and go fight those aliens, man, right? You know, he's going to defend the world against the aliens. And you're like, Wayne, do you watch junk like that? You better believe it. This is a great movie, man. And so the president gets up there and gives like this greatest speech of all time. You know, we're going to get, and after I watch, I'm, I'd run through a wall for the president, man. 
He's not even the real president, right? It's not even a real movie. Aliens aren't real. And you're like, what? No, all right. I, I don't necessarily believe aliens are real. So I'm sitting here. Uh, look, I'm, I'm totally bought into this is a fictional story. But, man, it emotionally stirs me. It does something to me. And I would, man, I would be willing to stand up and fight beside that guy. And, and so here's the thing. Look, a story, even if we know it's fictional, can be a moving story. But here's the truth. A fictional story cannot forgive your sins. A fictional story cannot change your life. It's not going to move you, and it's not going to save you. And so the, the significance of the literal death of Jesus can't be overstated. If Jesus didn't really die, then he didn't really save you. That's important. So we believe that Jesus literally died. He was the only one who could pay the price for our sins. I could die for you, but my dying for you would not do any good. We talked about the divinity of Jesus last week and how he's not just the son of God, he's God the son. The significance that God would die for you, even though that's unfathomable, it kind of blows my mind, it is essential for our faith. Because the fact is, the death of any of us in here for someone else would do no good. It would, I would not, I'm not a perfect man. I'm so imperfect. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, my death would not be significant. And that leads us really to the second point because it was a sacrifice. See, the death of Jesus was literal, but the death of Jesus was sacrificial. Jesus' death was a sacrifice. Now, you could look back to the Old Testament and talk about all the Old Testament sacrifices and how all of those were, were incomplete. They were insignificant. They could cover sins temporarily. Animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. Uh, but Hebrews really nails it down and tells us this is why Jesus had to come. Because he didn't just forgive our sins once. He actually forgave our sins once for all. He forgave us completely. His death on the cross was significant and sufficient enough to pay for the sins of all mankind. Now, I want to make sure we understand, we're not universalist. So we don't believe that everybody's okay, everybody's going to heaven. Well, wait a minute, you said that the blood of Jesus was good enough to save everybody, and it is. So that when we hear and read the scriptures say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, we believe that. Why? Because Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for all mankind. But here's the thing. The forgiveness of Jesus is available to everybody, but it is not automatic. The application of the blood of Jesus, the application of the sacrifice that Jesus made, the, the price that he paid, the application of that blood is not universal. It is, it is dependent on our repentance, our admission, our acknowledgement. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. I, I want to place my faith in him. I want to follow him. I want to give him my life. And that's when he changes our heart and he changes our life. The sacrifice of Jesus is of immeasurable value. John chapter 10 verse 18 says, No one, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 kind of speaks directly to the forgiveness of our sins and how we desperately needed him to die for us. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. 
He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And so this helps us understand the sacrifice. It's not just that the death of Jesus was literal, but the death of Jesus was sacrificial. He sacrificed his life. He paid a sin debt for you. So this is what the significance is for me. If you think about Matthew chapter 5, all right, there's a passage of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount's three chapters, but a portion of that is called the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Literally, here's what it's saying. You're bankrupt. Blessed are those people who acknowledge they're spiritually bankrupt, that you have nothing to give God. The fact is... Part of repenting of our sin, acknowledging our sin, and coming to Jesus in salvation is saying, God, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough for you. I can't can't do it. I can't check all of the boxes. I can't climb all of the steps of the stairway to heaven. There's no way I could do it without you. And so coming to Christ and recognize and acknowledge that there's no way. I have a debt I couldn't pay. There's no possible way. And this is why the sacrifice of Jesus is so important. He truly paid our debt when he died for us. Now, here's the thing we're going to shift into, the third point. And I think this is, is such a, a, an inseparable tie because we, we see the death of Jesus is literal. The death of Jesus is sacrificial. But the death of Jesus, listen, is personal. This is personal for Jesus. This was personal for him. I have very little difficulty, and maybe it's just, again, I was raised in church, and, and look, I, I've heard the gospel all of my life. I embraced it myself when I was seven. I've never had a, a doubt, a moment of a doubt about the gospel. Now, have I doubted my salvation? I, I would be happy to say, you know, through my childhood, my teenage years, there were times where I definitely had struggles with that, but I, I never doubted what Jesus did. Um, but here's what I want. I don't think we have a problem. I don't have a, I've never had an issue saying Jesus loved the whole world enough to die, right? I mean, we even know passages like John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So I don't have as hard of a time wrapping my brain around the fact that Jesus loves everybody enough, that Jesus loved the world enough to die for the world. But you know what sometimes I struggled with is, is that he loved me, like, like me. Like I could put, God so loved Wayne that he gave Jesus to die on the cross. Now that makes it much more difficult for me to grasp because I know me. Can I just be honest? I wouldn't die for me. Don't get hurt when I wouldn't die for you either. Probably not. You may say, well, that is hurt, hurtful, Wayne. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, it was personal for Jesus. He knew where you were, and he died for you anyway. You know what Romans 5, 8, listen to this. God demonstrated his love for you, and that while you were a sinner, <laughs> Jesus died for you. He didn't wait for you to clean up, man. He didn't wait for you to get good enough. He didn't wait for you to climb 10 steps on a 20-step staircase. He didn't wait for you to get 
grown up enough to where you could reach out your hands halfway out of the pit. No. I was flat on my bankrupt spiritual face. There was nothing worth saving about me. And I know we don't like to think about ourselves that way. Theologically, the same is true of all of us. It's why we're not condemning. It's why we as a church don't don't get legalistic. It's why we don't think you have to wear a dress code, you know. It's not about you filling in the boxes and, and, and being a perfect person before you come to Jesus. You crawl on your sin sick face to the cross of Christ. You will never be good enough for Jesus. I will never be good enough for Jesus. And if we think that, we don't know the gospel. The gospel is centered around a Christ who died for unworthy people. That's what the whole word of God is about. But the beautiful thing about it is that Jesus chose to die for us. 1 Peter 2.24 He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. It's personal. So that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. This is the word of God. This is the gospel. This is the Christ who loves you. Isaiah 5, I'm sorry, 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5, when it talks about he was crushed. I'm going to tell you right outside of the garden, right outside of, uh, right down the, the Mount of Olives. You come to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's literally across the street now from the eastern gate of the wall where Jesus is going to bust the wall wide open again one day. When I was standing there in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I heard the history and, and, and the significance of, of, of the olive tree and how olives are crushed. You probably know this already. You know, it's this olive press that crushed the olives and the olive uh, juice would run out of the olives. They crush it three times. That's why you have olive uh, oil, you have virgin olive oil and extra olive oil or extra virgin olive oil. You know the difference? The amount of money you pay. That's what they say. Anyway, so, so here's the significance though. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, I just want you to think back. Pre-cross. And he sweat as if it were drops blood Father if this cup could pass from me but not my will yours be done it is, it is the weight I believe the weight of the sins of the world the sin sick unholy world were crushing the very son of God he was crushed for our iniquities he, he took it personal He took your personal sin and he nailed it to a cross. He did it for me and he did it for you. This is not some crazy story and it's not just some impersonal story that's applicable. to. No, it's also an intimate story where Jesus cared enough about you that he went to the cross. It's beautiful, man. And it is so important we grab a hold of the significance of the intimate personal nature of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so when it says that, when it says that by his stripes we are healed, or it says with his wounds 
We are healed in Isaiah 53, 5. We believe that God heals physically. We believe that if, if you're sick, we should pray. Man, God, he's the same God. We sing about it every week in some way, one form or another. The fact is, he still heals. He still moves mountains, right? But you know what the biggest miracle ever took place? The biggest healing we ever received was not when cancer was removed or when our heart disease was, was resolved, but it was when my condition of sin was forgiven. Jesus healed me. He made me a new man. He gave me a new name. And he set me free from the bondage of sin. And, and look, he did it for you if you're a Christian. That's what Christianity is about. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, man, if you'd say, I just don't know, man, I hope and pray you'll trust him today. There's multiple opportunities for you. Go to the website even. And you come down here today or but you can go to the website and fill out a, a form to talk with Dustin personally. He call you this week. We'd love for you to make that decision. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. It's so powerful. God, more than anything else, no, no song can contain, no 32-minute talk can summarize or communicate perfectly the love you have for every man and woman, boy and girl in this room. So God, would you speak to our hearts? God, would you say what I have left blank? God, would you fill all those blanks and help Help heal our hearts. God, bring us to you. Set us free, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.